0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinogo. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching.
1: Hey Bruno, what you up to? Uh, you'd be surprised, I actually just got done at the gym. And I'm getting ready to do some laundry. Wow, you don't say. New
2: year, new you. Hey, did you get the picture I sent you?
1: I mean, I haven't I haven't looked at it yet, but uh, what was it?
2: Yo, it was a picture of David and Phoebe.
1: No way.
2: <laughs> I, I'm not lying. They went to a Red Sox game together.
1: The Sox, I love the Sox. Wow, the two of them friends?
2: Hey, I think just about everybody
1: is as surprised as we are. I I mean, actually, now I think about it, it makes sense. Phoebe's dad was David's best friend. And He's probably trying to do right by John.
2: David really continues to surprise me. It's gonna be nice to be in the same room as him in a couple of weeks and talk about all the things he's done since we last spoke.
1: It seems like he's been, he's been doing fairly all right since John died. I, I was kind of worried about that. Best of friends, best of brothers. Wait a second. Did you see Hamilton without me? No.
2: Okay, maybe parts of the pirated version, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, dude. Then this news of David and Phoebe, I guess, really inspires me. I think I might need to call up Tony and and make some amends.
2: What happened with Tony?
1: Well, uh, you see, I might have um, gone to another barber.
2: Bruno, don't tell me you went to Phil on 34th Street. Okay, I, I mean, if you want me to lie to you, I didn't go to Phil. Bruno! You did it.
1: I know, I know. I mean, that's, that's why I gotta call Tony.
2: That's like befriending the enemy of Tony.
1: I know, I know. That's, that's literally why I just said I gotta call him. I'll, I'll talk to you later, Mago. Yeah,
2: hey, yeah, good luck.
1: Thanks.
0: I'm gonna need it. Yeah. Hello. 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 Guys, let me tell you about a young high school Tyler, okay? Not much older than you, but imagine with me, if you will, high school Tyler, a varsity athlete, number one in my class, total ladies man, prom king. I'm sensing sensing that you don't believe me, and that's good because none of those things are true. None of those things are true. But okay, sitting, there I am, sitting in class one day. Hey, if you are kind of like halfway through your seat, why don't you just go turn fully this way toward the stage? Thank you so much. There I am, sitting in class one day, and all of a sudden the classroom phone rings. Teacher picks it up, says a few words, puts it back down, and then I hear the words that no one ever wants to hear. Tyler, they need to see you at the principal's office. Gulp. Oh no. Oh no. And so I stand up. Everybody starts weeping because they know it's the last time that they're ever going to see me alive. They wave their caps. Someone says, dead man walking. And I begin to make my way to the principal's office to await my punishment. And all of a sudden, as I'm going there I begin to think, my brain begins to create all of these scenarios and I begin to get very anxious. Why am I getting called up? What's going on? Is there terrible news? Is there is it a punishment? Am I getting in trouble for driving my car into my campus when I wasn't supposed to? I don't know. What's about to happen, but I got to my principal's office and one thing I did know that my life would never be the same. Okay, so maybe it wasn't that dramatic, okay? Maybe I embellished a little bit, but I think that you and I, we can all, relate just a little bit to that feeling of awaiting an unknown punishment or some sort of unknown verdict or consequence for maybe something that we did or maybe something that we did not do. So maybe you are like, no, when I get home, I am in big trouble or you've been called up to the principal's office. That, that feeling that causes all that anxiety in us can be terrifying. Now, why do I say that? Because today we are talking about two people Named David, who we've talked about. And named Mephibosheth. Everyone say, Mephibosheth. On, yeah, and it sounds like you're just being like... But it's a real name. But it's a real name, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth would have been feeling that feeling of awaiting an unknown consequence, but like times a hundred. Because he was getting called to the throne room in Jerusalem. And he was an enemy of the king, and that was not good news, was not going to go well. And so if you'll remember from two weeks ago, we talked about a guy named Saul who was king of Israel before David, and Saul was a little crazy because he tried to kill David because David wanted to be king, right? But I got to thinking about it, and I was like, man, maybe Saul isn't that crazy, not because he wanted to kill someone, that's crazy. But I think Saul was just doing what kings back then would have done. Which is if there is an enemy, if there is a threat to their kingdom, a threat to their throne, the king's gonna kill someone, right? The king's gonna kill their enemy. We see that in movies, we see we read about that in books. Kings would kill their enemies. What would have been crazy if was if, if is if Saul left his enemy alive. Or better yet, chose to treat his enemy like a friend. And that's what's so crazy about our story today, because that's what David does. And so, David, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, we read this. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, what's important for us to know is that Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Remember Jonathan? He was like David's best friend. They made that promise with each other. They were always going to protect each other and serve each other. So Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. Jonathan, Saul's grandson. So Mephibosheth and David, not on the same team. This family tried to kill this family. Not good. Yet he's wanting to show kindness. And so I, at first when I read this, I'm thinking. Oh, David's just trying to be a sneaky king and get his enemies into his throne room so he can kill him. Like, hey, why don't you come to my throne room? I'll show you kindness. Oh, also, look at this knife. I've named it kindness. hi Like, then he kills his enemy, and all of a sudden, it's like, David's like, oh, you got me. Like, he tricked him. But let's keep reading. Verse 2. Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. Great names in this story. In my head, he's a zebra, but probably not. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Zeba at your service? He said. The king asked, so David asks this servant, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Zeba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. He was unable to walk at all. Where is he? The king asked. Zeba answered, He's at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So, King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. The author of 2 Samuel really wanted us to know that he was at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. That's a huge, must be a huge deal. Must be a huge deal. So, David summons this guy named Ziba. Figures out that Saul still has a grandson left. Now, remember that David had made a promise to Jonathan, Mephibosheth's dad, that he would protect and serve his descendants. And this guy Ziba, he works for Saul and really he works for Mephibosheth, but Mephibosheth can't walk at all. And so he kind of is taking care of, he's sort of a property manager, so to speak, for everything that Saul has left behind. And so he figures out where this guy is and he says, okay, Ziba, bring Mephibosheth to the throne room. Now, Mephibosheth would have been so nervous. It's like getting called to the principal's office but like a billion times worse. Because here's the thing. Mephibosheth is not expecting a slap on the wrist. He's not expecting a few days of suspension. Mephibosheth is expecting death. Because he is an enemy of the king, and any normal king would kill their enemy. And so Mephibosheth is expecting, as soon as he gets there, to be like, oh, hello, David. And then before he can even finish what he's gonna say, off goes his head. He's expecting to Die, because a normal king at that time would absolutely have killed their enemy. And maybe David wants some payback. He's like, your, grandda- your granddaddy tried to kill me. And so guess what? Time for some revenge. But let's see what happens. Maybe, maybe something else happens. Verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth at your service he replied don't be afraid David said to him for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your father your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table now we don't live in the time and place that this took place obviously. But we need to understand just how huge that is. The kindness was not a trick. Honestly, if I was Mephibosheth, I would have been like, say what, David? What did you say? It sounded like you said that you wanted to be really nice to me, but I thought you were going to kill me. Because that is what David said. Can you imagine? I mean, Mephibosheth's feeling this, this mixture of relief and shock and confusion and humility In fact, Mephibosheth says, he asks David, he says, who am I that you would show such great mercy to a dead dog like me? Now, I don't know if you've ever called yourself a dead dog, but it's not exactly the best self-compliment that you can give yourself. What does this mean? This means that Mephibosheth knew who he was in relation to the king. He knew he was an enemy. He expected death, and instead is what he, what he received was grace upon grace. So when I was a freshman in college, I moved from Arizona to Georgia. And so I went from knowing a ton of people where I grew up in Arizona to knowing absolutely nobody in the South Georgia. Everyone's like, hi y'all. And I was like, what's happening? Why are you talking like this? You guys sound funny. And so I, didn't, I had a lot of trouble making friends. If you've ever moved somewhere new, you know that sometimes it can be hard to make new friends. And so, all of a sudden, this, my school year rolls around, and Thanksgiving, all of a sudden, it's Thanksgiving. And I'm a little nervous, because I don't want to spend Thanksgiving by myself, but I also was not going to be able to go home. And so, I had this predicament, because I was like, man, if I'm by myself, I'm probably going to eat a Hot Pocket on Thanksgiving, which would be a huge disappointment, because, I mean, all Hot Pockets are good, but they're not good when you're eating them in place of turkey and pumpkin pie. Come on, right? It's like... I mean, maybe, like, maybe, maybe me by mozzarella. Maybe. But other than that. And so, thankfully, I did make a few friends. So my one friend, Becca, invited me and a few other friends to her house in a town pretty close to spend Thanksgiving the whole week there. But again, I was a little nervous. I had met her family, and they were great, but I did not really know them very well. And it'd be a lot to spend a week with people that you don't really know, Right? But I went. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And what I instead found was that they treated me like I was a member of their family. It was like I was suddenly in like my second home. Maybe you have friends like this where you go to their house and it's kind of just like your second family. It's awesome. It's like the best kind of friendship that you can have. I mean, they were so wonderful. They made me dinner and we went to the movies and we hung out. And ultimately, they let me sit at their Thanksgiving table, a table much like this one. But here's what's even better. They lived in a college town with lots of international students. That means students from around the world. And these students, because they didn't grow up in the United States, didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. And even if they did, they weren't gonna be able to go home to celebrate it because they lived halfway across the world, some of them. And so, what I what what I was once so nervous about, what I was anxious about, this week of of, of unknown situations, turned into instead this wonderful amazing, gracious occasion of me sitting down to a table with not only a wonderful family, but with new friends from all around the world. I can tell you, it was one of the cooler experiences I've ever had to celebrate Thanksgiving with people that don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Now, I wasn't enemies with these people. Let's make that clear. They were my friends, but I still was not expecting that kind of of grace. You've probably had moments like that too, where all of a sudden somebody is just so kind to you, shows you so much grace when you don't deserve it. And this is how Mephibosheth, imagine how much more he would have been feeling, that instead of a death sentence, he instead is given a seat at the best table in the country, probably the best table in the world. This is huge. David has just set himself apart from every other king. Instead of treating his enemy like an enemy, he's chosen to treat his enemy like a friend. You don't invite your friends, you don't invite enemies to sit at your table. You don't give enemies things that were once yours and now you give to them. You do that for friends. Where there was once enmity, where once they were trying to kill each other and fighting, there is now friendship. David was a good king. That's what a good king does. But can I tell you something? Compared to David, there was a far better king. And he was a king that would come a thousand years after David. And actually, he was a descendant of David. David was his ancestor. And this king, he came to establish a kingdom that David gave us a little glimpse of. We saw like 1% of the kingdom that this king was trying to establish in this little moment with David. See, where other kings wanted to kill their enemies, and, and they wanted wealth, and they wanted power... This king instead, he wanted to make his enemies his friends. And he wanted humility and peace. King David was just a shadow, just a small little glimpse of this king. And you probably know who it is. It's King Jesus. See, King Jesus, he invited the worst of the worst to his table. People that wanted to kill him, people that betrayed him, people that wanted nothing to do with their creator, People that, that, that spit on Jesus, that, that, that attacked him. People that hated God. He said, hey, that's your spot. But, but Jesus knew. He knew that he was, if he was going to really make his enemies his friends, it was going to take more than a seat at the table. If he knew that, that if, if this was really going to be permanent, it was going to take something greater because he knew that within us lied this thing called sin and there was only one way to defeat sin. And so instead of this king killing his enemies, he chose to die for his enemies. And so that in in the place of his enemies with his death and his resurrection, his enemies might receive life instead of a death sentence. A death sentence that we as enemies of God deserved. And one of those enemies was a man named Saul. Not King Saul in the Old Testament, but Saul in the New Testament. And Saul hated Christians. I mean, he was, he, he, when, when the church was just starting, Saul was killing people that followed Jesus just because they were following Jesus. That's pretty out of, out of our minds because of the world and place that we live in. And that's a wonderful freedom that we have. But there was one point where it wasn't freedom, And so if you followed Jesus, Saul was coming after you. And one day, he was really good at it too. And one day, while he was on, on his way to another town to kill more Christians and arrest more Christians, a blinding light hit him and he fell off of his horse because the King Jesus had showed up to protect his people. But he didn't kill Saul. Instead, he told Saul, you work for me now. And that's what Saul did because you and I know Saul is a guy named Paul who became an evangelist and a church planter in that whole region of the world. And the reason that so much of the world today knows Jesus is because of what Paul did back then. And he wrote a letter to some Christians in Rome. And as I read this, um, Emily can invite the students, 7th and 8th graders, back in. But Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen. Would you read along with me? Or just to yourself, not out loud. In verse 9, it says this, Since we have now been justified by His blood, the blood of Jesus, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, we were brought back to Him, to God, through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through the life of Jesus? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. While we were enemies of God, in the midst of us betraying God, of turning against Him, King Jesus died for you and I in that moment. And now we are saved because in Jesus' kingdom, fifth through eighth graders, in Jesus' kingdom, there are no enemies, only friends, simple as that. In fact, Jesus took it a step further. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus put it like this. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. But maybe this whole time, you have been hearing the word enemies. And you've been saying, well, I don't really have enemies. Like there's not really anyone that's out here trying to kill me. So let's maybe change the wording up, okay? Can we do that? Can we change the wording up a little bit? So maybe it's more like this. Maybe you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but in Jesus' kingdom, you love your sibling that annoys the heck out of you, and you invite them to your table. But we've been using that language. What does it mean to invite someone to your table? Well, I think for starters, it could mean inviting them to sit at your lunch table. I've been to to all of your schools. And I know that there are people sitting alone at lunch, people that do not have friends that need a friend that are asking you, that that just need somebody to invite them to the table. Or maybe it means forgiving your friend for that little thing that they did against you and moving forward. Maybe it means choosing to love someone and show them kindness instead of hating them or ignoring them. Simply it means treating people with the kindness of a friend, with the kindness of God. So in Jesus' kingdom, you love that person that talked about you behind your back, and you invite them to your table. You say, hey, this spot, that's for you. So in Jesus' kingdom, you love that person that was a bully to you, that made fun of you for that thing, or made fun of you for what you believe, and you invite them to your table. You say, hey, this spot, that's for you. Or you invite that person that you were a bully to, and you ask for forgiveness. You apologize. You say, man, I wasn't the kindness of God. And you say, hey, this spot, this spot is for you. But in Jesus' kingdom, you love your teacher that you think is out to get you. And you invite them to your table. And you show them the kindness of God. I see you. I see you guys shaking your heads. And I'm telling you that if you're going to follow Jesus, there is no room for that. Not an inch he makes it clear. Love your enemy. End of story. In Jesus' kingdom, you apologize. In Jesus' kingdom, you ask for forgiveness. In Jesus' kingdom, you move past that petty argument that you've been holding on to for so long. You reconcile your friendship and you move forward. Because we all have tables in our lives. Sometimes it's a literal physical table and sometimes it's this metaphorical one of of bringing people in but it's going to be up to us it is your decision fifth sixth seventh and eighth graders on whether you are going to invite someone in with the love and the kindness and the grace of king jesus or if you're just going to say hey that spot's actually saved or someone else someone else is sitting there so sorry the table's full we don't have room for you And what if, what if we just stopped acting like the garbage of the world, and instead we started to treat each other with the kindness and the love of Jesus? Things would never be the same. If instead of treating our enemies or people that annoy us or get on our nerves like our enemies or people that annoy us or get on our nerves, instead of treating them like we think we should, we treat them with the model and example of Jesus which by the way is sacrificing for them, putting them before yourself and loving them even when it's difficult. In Jesus' kingdom, there is a seat with every person's name on it. In Jesus' kingdom, there are no enemies. There are only people waiting to be made friends. Because on the night that Jesus died, he sat, or the night before he died, he sat at a table with people that would both betray him and people that would be faithful to him. And he told them about this thing that he was about to do. He told them about this, his body that was going to be broken and his blood that would be shed. And he held up a piece of bread to symbolize his body and a cup of juice or wine back then to symbolize his blood. And he said, when you do this, remember me. When you do this, celebrate what I have done. And so that's what we're going to do. So leaders, if you are going to pass communion, I ask that you get up and go back to the back and get those trays now. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, 5th or 8th grade, stay up here. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are, for a lot of you that means that if you've, been a ba- if you've been baptized and you are following Jesus, then I want to invite you to take communion. To come and sit at the table that Jesus has set and reflect on the very fact that while you were his enemy, God died for you. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, please don't take it. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, don't just take it because your friends are doing it. There are no enemies in the kingdom of God and God has made you his friend. But it's up to you if you're gonna follow through with that, if you're gonna live out of that, And if not, then you just want to think about it right now. Then I ask that you would just let the tray pass and go on. But this is not a time to talk. This is just a time to think, to sit, to thank God in prayer and reflect on his goodness and his love for you. So I'm going to pray for us. Communion is going to be passed and then we're going to pray. Then we're going to sing together. But again, this is not a time to talk not a time to be crazy, a time to simply sit and be still at the table that Jesus has prepared for you. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and you have set a feast for us. And Father, we are just choosing alternatives. Father, at our lowest moment in our worst days, that's when you chose to die for us while we were your enemies in the midst of our sin. While we were sinning was when you decided, now, get them. I want, I want all of them, whatever it costs. So Father, help us to love people with that same vigor, with that same energy. Father, help us to know that there are no enemies in your kingdom that if we have enemies we have people that we are at odds with it is time to reconcile those relationships it is time to forgive it is time to move forward father help us to reflect on who you are how good you are how much you love us father we love you and we trust you in jesus name we pray amen thanks again for checking out this podcast we hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in jesus and encourages you to help others do the same For more resources or to learn about Christchurch in general, visit us online at cco.church.